This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 12. I'm John DiCarlo. We got a full house. Kyle Gauss is back. We're also joined by Javon Edmonds, Caden Steele. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Pretty good. I'd be better if I could get my hands on some Phil's tickets for Saturday, mm-hmm. since I haven't seen Manny Machado in person since he departed from my beloved Orioles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm doing to pretty like good. Chastise Manny Machado or to celebrate? Him? <laughs> to, to celebrate? I love Manny. I know some people have their stories of him being a jerk, but he was never a jerk to me, so I kind of just don't care. Javon, as like an Orioles fan, are you just like conditioned? Like you're so beyond the point of like, oh, this guy left us. I'm upset that you're just like instantly okay with them once they leave. I, I'm hurt for like a week, and then I'm like, it's the Orioles. That's what happens to us. Mm. Interesting. Kaden, Kaden, what have you been up to? Uh, not much. Just uh, you know, schoolwork as always, throwing away your soup. But other than that. You know, life's been going good for me, and uh, just glad to be here. Got to meet Caden's girlfriend Friday. He was he was a gentleman. Picked her up at the train station. Uh, got to meet them. They laid out their weekend plans for me, dinner plans. Lovely person. It's happy Thank to meet her. You. Thank you. <laughs> Kyle, do should we just we'll, we'll talk baseball later in the pod with our mailbag question from Pat Egan? You had you did accurately depict the real situation before we started recording. Was that you? You never were talking smack before. I said the Phillies would beat the Cardinals. I talked about how fluky postseason baseball is. Mm-hmm. And yet people who don't think that I know what their username is when they tweet at me, uh, <laughs> they decide, <laughs> people are harping on me. Look, base, post, postseason baseball is really weird. The Braves objectively are better than last year's Braves team, and yet they lose in the NLDS. It happens. Trust me, I am used to the Braves losing in the NLDS. That did not keep me up at night. Mm. Anyway, well, John's talking about meeting Caden's girlfriend. John's married. Kyle is married with kids. And then there's just me. Shabon, you're, you're, life, you are, you're 21. You're 21 years old. Your, your whole life is ahead of you for crying out loud. It's uh counterpoint, Javon. I was dating my wife at 21. So like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he was Kyle's. I was just a, a smooth operator when he met Meg. Famous number 12s. Randall Cunningham. Brady and Rogers. Rogers, yeah. Don's uh, Bradshaw, right? Yeah, Bradshaw, I guess. My late father would be disappointed if I didn't say Kenny Stabler. And Roger Staubach. Yeah. As well. Other quarterbacks. Temple. Dwight Hobbs. Yeah. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly's a big one. John Stockton. John Stockton wore number 12? Yep. Joe Naismith. Uh, Naismith. Joe Namath. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) You combined combined the founder of... Combined the the, the founder of basketball with... uh, With Broadway Joe. With a sexist quarterback. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A man who's walking around asking peach baskets if he can kiss them. (laughs) 
That's the type of that's the while, conversation you would get. While still wearing a, a fur coat from 1969. Yeah, yeah. What about well, Soto? Very bad at defense. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, we are recording the scoop right now. Real quick, another thing. I didn't want to be on the podcast last week because, you know, the Braves were playing during this time, but that has not stopped two Phillies fans from doing back-to-back weeks during these ever-so-pivotal games. We're committed to our craft. Yeah, or we could just reschedule it to any other time. <laughs> nah. People people need the scoop. They need to hear more about this 70-13 to 13, uh, loss down in, down in Orlando. Um, we'll talk, of course, a little bit about that. we got some audio from this week from Stan Drayton uh, in his weekly Monday press conference. We'll, we'll talk about what's ahead uh, in Friday night's game against Tulsa. I think we can agree it might be a potentially winnable game for the Owls. Got a couple of mailbag questions. Uh, but by now, you guys know that last Thursday was pretty ugly. The 70 points Temple allowed were the most uh, since back-to-back seasons in 2004 and 2005 when they allowed 70 to Bowling Green. And then those 737 total yards they allowed were the most ever, ever by a Temple opponent that surpassed uh, the SMU 728 yards they allowed to, to the Mustangs in 2013. And again, as you know, by now, this was once a 14 to 13 game before UCF rattled off the, the 56 unanswered points. EJ Warner goes 24, 43, 234 yards and a touchdown. Running game was abysmal again, 27 carries for 59 yards. Ed Sadie, a yeah, couple signs of life here and there, nine carries, 41 yards, but Quincy Patterson and Jakari Norwood, they kind of bogged down those totals. And we, we've said this week after week, Washington's and repeat. Some of it might be the backs not, not hitting holes. Some of it might be the offensive line not opening up holes. Um, Stan Drayton talked a lot about missed assignments and misfits on runs, but it was, it was clear that UCF speed was way too much for Temple, uh, particularly on the edges. Um we knew this would be a loss. Did you guys think it would be this bad? Did I think that they were going to set every futile record in their in the program's history? No. Uh, I think for that, that 70 number that sticks out, it's probably a combination of like Temple never has the speed to hold up with UCF, plus two programs at very different times of their thing. And a, to be quite frank, a coach on the other sideline that is not opposed to running up scores. Like Gus yeah. on does not give a shit about that. Yeah. And, that we did it is the mm-hmm. first time in the history of the American, which grants is only like 10 years that an American team, uh, American team rushed for 300 and threw for 400 against an American opponent. Um, that's not usually a stat you want to be on the other side of. So mm-hmm. no, I didn't think it'd be this bad. I did think they were going to lose pretty easily and significantly. I think temple fans might have just gotten a little ahead of themselves with how well, like the first quarter went, like they were able mm-hmm. to move the ball against UCF. Um, the issue is just that, like, once you're in that Central Florida, like, heat, even though it's October, mm-hmm. and you already have a speed disadvantage, that defense was just gassed by the end. Yeah, and they can't run the ball either in sustained drives. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going three now because you're putting Quincy Patterson out there to run up the middle three straight times, and now that defense that's already huffing and puffing on the sidelines has to go out there and do it again. Mm-hmm. With, with Patterson getting checked in, like, I'm looking at that, and I, I, I will be – very transparent here. I was not looking at that game from any uh, analytical standpoint. I was. Uh, Are you watching that game? I was watching the game. What but are you I, doing? I, I was busy. Hold on, hold on. I was busy like scarfing down free drinks from Sam Cohn and a few other friends of the yes, podcast. Happy belated birthday! Happy belated twenty-first birthday to our Javon Evans. Hold the applause. Thank you. Sam Cohn's got like three more months before it's creepy that he's doing things like that. 
Like you're out of college now, Sam. You gotta go. You gotta move on. You gotta. You're out of the flock. No, nah, he's got the full. Doesn't he have? He has a redshirt year, right? He has a fifth year. Because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he's got the grad eligibility year after that. Yeah, he's year. got two that's, years. That's fair. Cool. That's fair. But you don't want to be that guy that just keeps coming back to like college bars. You don't want to be that guy. But um, well, I'm upset that you were paying attention to this game whatsoever. No, so so here's here's what's going on because for some I just can't look away from stuff like that's just me. I can't look away from stuff and that's just James Harden on television. I can't look away from stuff. <laughs> so like I'm looking at the game and I see Quincy Patterson in there, and I just start thinking of the, the, our, our buddy John DeCarlo here, who has talked this Stan Drayton numerous times about you know hey Stan it's kind of getting predictable. No, it was Max's Quincy's question. Max asked him that. Max, Max that was Max this week. Him. Yeah, no, Max asked him last week, and then Stan basically said, yeah, we that's something, sure, we, you know, he can throw the ball. I think he said, you know, I love when football coaches use the word now to emphasize the sense that he can throw the ball now. And he said that last week. Steve Adazio was a big now guy, by the way. Anyway, Max Dinenberg asked him that question, and then, again, they were overmatched. By no means, I think, are we saying that this decided the game in any way, shape, or form, but, yeah, it was predictable. They don't, they don't have them throw, and they just can't. I don't know what they're trying to do, but they can't do it. So, yes, just it was Max, not me. I don't want to take credit for that question. Well, yeah, like Max asks Stan, you know, like, isn't it getting a little bit predictable? Mm-hmm. And Stan's like, yeah, we're working on changing that and the whole shebang. And then Thursday night comes, and they're getting shellacked. And what do you throw out there? Quincy Patterson to run the ball. I don't understand people who want to attain something different without changing what they're already doing. As long as you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to continue getting the same result. Mm-hmm. Definition of insanity, Javon. Yeah. Uh, now that... six, 16 straight snaps, at least 16, because I didn't want to go back to the UMass game. 16 straight snaps of Quincy Paris at quarterback, but he has not thrown the ball. Mm-hmm. So I did, you know, that leads nicely into this audio that we're going to drop in here for you guys, for our listeners. I, I asked, you know, uh, Nick Menta, our, our buddy Nick Menta, who was uh, down in Orlando covering the game for us. Uh, the, the media availability after the game, I think, was, was fairly brief. Uh, a couple people tweeting at me, DMing me, saying, please ask about the Quincy Patterson thing. So explain to those people that you can talk to Stan a little bit more in depth on Monday after he's had the chance to watch film. So I asked him about that very subject, about Quincy Patterson. It has it become predictable. And uh, you know, Stan talked about how these are RPO situations and he's getting run reads there. So we'll play this audio for you. And this was Stan's explanation to that. Yeah, there's throw opportunities and the play calls that are called with Quincy now, they're just giving him run looks, you know? So yeah, when you, when you run a RPO type of system with Quincy, um, he has the option to run it or throw it. And, you know, in the looks that he's been given, he's been, you know, forced to run it. So. All right, let's pretend we're football coaches for a second here, which we're not. Um, I, I get where, where Stan's coming from, but at, at this point, don't you at least have to drop him back a couple of times to give to give teams something to think about? And again, I don't know that that's going to make or break them. It wasn't going to make or break them last week. It's certainly, I don't think it's going to make or break them this week. Again, I get what they're trying to do. They're not moving the line. They're not getting what they need out of the line or the backs, but it has, it's become predictable again. I mean, that Stan is, is saying there just that he's, he's getting a lot of run reads there. What do you guys think about that? Is that just a coach being a coach or. I'll let, I'll let Caden do the X's and O's off of where I'm going with this. 
But, like, is he really getting run reads if it's not going anywhere each time? Like, it's either... That would be my question, yeah. It's either he's not getting run reads or he is and your offensive line is just that damn bad. But you've got to choose one <laughs> and you got to see it straight up. Or he's mm-hmm. getting run reads and the opposing defense just doesn't respect you enough as a runner. Like, would rather give you run reads and still just have you get two yards. Mm-hmm. Like... I think this is an example of just Temple, you know, having no answers in the run game. You continue continually use this with Quincy Patterson and John. You mentioned, you know, should they, you know, drop him back a few times to keep defenses honest? And you know, Stan mentioned that, you know, he could throw the ball. I, I think Stan's just straight up lying because everyone watched that Duke game. He could not throw the ball. I don't think that really adds anything. I don't think defenses would respect him if he dropped back. Maybe it would make it a little more balanced, but I just think the whole gimmick Quincy Patterson thing hasn't worked for them since early in the season and I don't know if it's going to get back on track so I just they have to find other solutions in the run game that's not Quincy he threw the ball I mean I don't he threw the ball a little bit at North Dakota State it's not like he's never it's not like he's terrible throwing the ball I get that he was a better runner than a thrower but and again I think this this is a lot of what comes out of losing seasons like this if the you know if if Temple had a better veteran experienced offensive line particularly some guys on the interior that could move people and he was coming in on third and two and getting you four yards and five yards, then this becomes a success story. But now it's just, this is what we're, we're drilling down on. But I mean, Kyle brings up a, a great point, you know, 16 straight snaps might be time for, for something, anything. And I don't, I don't know what he does particularly well in the throw game. If you can roll him out, if you can do something to, to, to mix things up though, the, the only other pass they threw was the, the trick play that they tried with Dewan Mathis. Right. And then, I mean, he, I think he wisely threw that ball away. Right. Yeah, I mean, their decision there. I think it's, I mean, I think it's also a little bit of a disservice to your true freshman quarterback and EJ Warner. Cause it's mm-hmm. not like, um, it's not like there's times entirely where they're saying, like, okay, Quincy, this drive is yours. Like, go do what you got to do. There's times when they're putting him out there on first and second down, and then they're having EJ come in cold on third and 13 right. and saying, go convert. So, like, I don't know. I've had enough of it, to be quite frank. Like, if I don't see this gimmick again the rest of the season, that would be quite okay. It'd be too soon. Yeah. I also want to see what EJ can do in those situations. Like, you want to run RPO, keep EJ in. Let him try to operate some of those run reads. I know he's a little small. Yeah, that's what, so that's what I was thinking about this over the weekend, Kyle, and I gave it a lot of thought. Like, would I want to do that? I, but then I came to the conclusion. It's like, eh, there's nothing else to lose. So I came but, to the conclusion that he has no care for EJ Warner's health. Well, he gets hit enough, so I mean, like, go ahead. Let's see what you're really made of at this point. Well, I mean, in fairness, they pass protect pretty, pretty well against UCF compared. De- to yeah, very like decently. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's that's perfectly fine. It's just they're missing, you know, the other strong aspect of. I. Offense. So I think that maybe leads us to. If there are maybe two bright spots from that game, Camden Price appears to Kyle tweeted out during the game. It looks like Temple's found its kicker, because the the one he hit at Memphis was into the wind. The one that he hit last Thursday looked like it might've been good from like 55 or 60. So you can see why he was uh, recruited to, to play at Miami. Uh, so that's a bright spot. Three points there, obviously not nearly enough to win him the game. And I think that, that Victor Stolfo finally getting healthy at right tackle. Again, I'm sure he's got a ton to work on, but maybe that's a bright spot for you. So they had Isaac Mort left tackle and yet another combination on the offensive line, Isaac Mort left tackle, Wisdom Quarshi at left guard, Adam Klein back at center, Rich Rodriguez at right guard. And of course, he he left the game, right? And Jim Tuobadegu came in at guard. 
And then Victor Stoffel comes in at right tackle. Bryce Thoman and, and James Family did not make the trip. Stan Drayton said Monday that they are, quote, progressing in the right direction and getting ready to play Friday again. Whether that means they'll actually play Friday against Tulsa remains to be seen. So, um, but we're going to, uh, I, I talked to Stan, I asked him this question Monday about, about Victor Stoffel again and um, asking him about his thoughts on how he played and then followed up and said, does this give you some some flexibility to open things up and maybe get you one step closer to the offensive line that you want. And here's what Stan had to say about that. Yeah, you know, I was happy to have him out there. You know, he obviously, you know, did his job. You know, you know, there's some rust on Victor, you know, and, um, you know, he played the game pretty high. He's got to get his pad level down, things of that sort. But, you know, at the point of attack, he wasn't an issue, okay? Uh, in the throw game, when they were bringing some pressure from time to time, the job got done. You know, um, we know that Victor can do his job better because we know what his ceiling is. We know what his capabilities are. Um, but was, anytime you get a player, you know, with the caliber and the talent that Victor is back in your fold, um, it's, it's always a good thing. So we're just going to build and continue to grow with him. Um, he's having a good week of practice. He's, uh, you know, getting further and further away from those ailments. So we're, we're excited about where we can go from, from here. If he continues to progress there, does that give you more flexibility with keeping out of the center? And then maybe once James is healthy, is he projected maybe like one of the guard spots then? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, obviously he brings us to great length at, at right tackle. So just being able to get the length in place at the on your bookends or the offensive line is something that you want. And uh, then you can kind of shuffle the, the deck with the guard and the centerpiece. But, you know, getting Isaac and, and Victor on the, on the edge right there does gives us p- position flex. Um, and I'm not so sure that's where he, he kind of belongs at this point. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll see. What did you guys think of how he played? Again, we're talking about a 70 to 13 loss, but as you guys said, I mean, they, they did. I don't think you saw, you know, oh my gosh, like EJ was running for his life. Yes, he got pressured. And yes, we've talked about this before. I think he is just as much to, uh, to praise for the lower sack totals as the offensive line. I wouldn't say they've passed protected perfectly, but what'd you guys think of what Victor Stoffel gave that offensive line, granted in a blowout? I think it gave him, you know, another tackle that has more size on the outside, which I don't think they had before. I think he, you know, is a player that, you know, I think it's encouraging early on. I think they needed that because, you know, James Famino, who's, you know, sideline right now and he's coming back from the injury. I think he's looked solid at points this year, but I think you asked him, John, about how's that, you know, maybe provide some position flexibility. So mm-hmm. if Stoffel can be, you know, a solid book and tackle, you can move one of those guys, you know, Famino maybe inside or replace a guy like Bryce Toman who, you know, has struggled consistently this year. I think the interior of that offensive line is really bad, you know, from what we've seen. So if you're able to move one of those tackles inside, maybe it fixes up, you know, some of those issues. Yeah, wisdom. Oh, go ahead, Kai. I think it's another body. And I think the more important aspect of it is that it's a fourth-year guy. Like, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's been in the college weight room for four years, where the, all the other names that we just mentioned that might get moved because of this, James Famineau, Bryce Toman. Um, Jim Tello are all like Richard freshmen, uh, Richard's like third year sophomores, like they're younger guys. So, like, at the very least, you get to a guy who's physically maybe able to play that swing tackle position a little better than some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I, I get it. Fans keep looking ahead and saying they have to address the offensive line and recruiting. And 
they have. If you've been following along, Luke Watson out of Delaware, Cole Skinner out of Point Pleasant Borough, uh, Eric King uh, up in, in Jersey City, and then Kevin Terry at Clearwater Central Catholic. I mean, they have they have four verbals right now from offensive linemen, but keep in mind, again, they are going to be true freshmen coming in. Now, maybe maybe Chris Weezahan finds his Isaac Moore or an Adam Klein or a Matt Hennessy. Hennessy played as a true Hennessey freshman, right? Hennessy redshirted. He played started right. against Charlotte as a guard, but then he That's right. redshirted. Yeah. Maybe so I mean, Deion Dawkins. Yes. Yeah. It makes better, $100 million. In the better, yeah. Better, better example there. But again, I mean, I, I think they know that they need to address that position, but I think it's going to be a combination of like, yes, bringing those guys in, developing them, but maybe finding another, another name in the portal there. But I don't know, maybe that's one bright spot to come out of it. Let's look at this Tulsa team. They're two and four coming into Friday night's game at the link that that general vicinity is going to be going to be nuts. Caden has already told us that he is, he is foregoing covering the game foregoing the Phillies game because he is a huge, huge, huge smashing pumpkins fan. Oh, uh, don't lead. Jane's addictions there as well. <laughs> They're opening for him. Jane's addiction is also part of that concert. Wow. Caden, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> they should do jumbotron half Phillies game quarter Jane's addiction quarter temple. <laughs> like in the top right, if you want to watch Tulsa, uh, <laughs> you can stare at that. I walked in. I walked in Monday. And I said, "Who knows who Smashing Pumpkins are?" Caden was like, "Yeah, '90s band." You know, he knew they had the double CD album. Uh, yeah, I remember that. One was like blue, and one was like purple or something. But yeah, Jane's Addiction's there as well. So yes, Jane yeah. says. Yes, Jane says Temple's got a chance to potentially win this game. How do you Jane like? Jane says it's going to be some bad football we're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Tulsa's they're two and four overall. I mean, they've been a bit of a weird team too. I mean, they're not great, but you know, they're, they're coming off a 53-21 loss at Navy after playing Cincy pretty tough the week before. They cut that game to 24-21 in the third quarter before losing 31-21. And then at Navy, you know, Tulsa gave up 26 points in the second quarter and got blown out. Uh, you know, Navy's been a little bit more interesting, I guess, than people realize they can. You know, they've got a quarterback and can throw it a little bit too, but nevertheless, uh, Tulsa's given up 35.2 points per game. That's the second worst mark in the conference just ahead of UCF, excuse me, USF. I'm sorry. Uh, we know they've got a pretty good quarterback in Davis Brin. He's got some pretty good numbers. He had decent numbers last year, although I think he threw 14 picks last year, but so far 1,839 yards passing 14 touchdowns and five interceptions. He's completed almost 61% of his passes. Um, a, potential bright spot for temple you know they like temple they don't run the ball well they're they would be the worst rushing rushing team in the conference if it wasn't for temple this year if, if it wasn't for temple being really bad they're only averaging a little more than 109 yards per game that's again second worst total in the conference ahead of temple they're only averaging 3.1 yards per carry and they have nine rushing touchdowns again this shows you just how bad temple's been temple's averaging 2.6 yards per carry and just four rushing touchdowns so um they do have one of the better wideouts in the conference and uh and keelan stokes 44 catches 765 yards four touchdowns already i mean he's on his way to a thousand yard season not a not a huge target at, at wide receiver but he's he's 510 202 but he's shorter stockier but but good and fast uh, another thing that potentially plays the Temple's advantage, they don't rush the quarterback particularly well. They only have seven sacks. That's the worst mark in the conference. And again, we've talked about the fact that EJ Warner has been pretty good at, at not holding the ball too much. 
Um, and that's again, a good thing for a temple offensive line. Like we just said a few minutes ago, it's still trying to find its way, but yet Tulsa is a, a 13 point favorite. Why are they, uh, again, temples coming off a, a big blowout. Why is, is Tulsa a 13 point favorite in this game? I can't tell you. Um, Javon is stumped. Both teams have the same record. Uh, Tulsa's roster has more eye candy to it with Davis, Bryn. Uh, me and Caden were just talking about this earlier. It's crazy. The guys me and him came in talking about four years ago and seeing where they are now. I can't imagine how Kyle and John feel. Um, but, like, you know, you got Davis, Bryn back there. Their offensive line, I want to say they have five guys in that room who are power five transfers. So I guess that's sexy to the Vegas guys, I guess. Um, but Caden's been talking about it for the past few days, and I'll let him get into it. Their defense is far from special down there in Tulsa. So, I mean, I, I guess the betting spread doesn't mean that much to me, but I don't know. 13 and a half, take it or leave it. I don't know. Caden, help me out here. Yeah. I don't fully understand. I think the line is a little big. If you look at it, maybe you would go strength of schedule. I mean, they played uh, Mississippi this year, Cincinnati. So maybe a stronger schedule. And, you know, they've competed in some games. Uh, they have a more experienced quarterback with Davis Bren. So, you know, if you've seen them before. It's reliable. The team did beat Temple last year, 44 to 10. And I get it's mm -hmm. a new year. But are the rosters that much different from last year? where Temple's all of a sudden going to close this gap. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, they can score a ton of points. Uh, I know they can't stop anyone, but Temple also hasn't proven they can score points. So even if Tulsa's defense is bad, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to be able to establish anything. Well, Caden, remember last year, not last year, earlier this season, I used that same point against Rutgers, where like both rosters are similar. And Rutgers destroyed Temple last season, and then that wound up being a one-point game that Temple should have won if Stan Drayton just, like, toned down the ballsy meter just a little bit, right? But then <laughs> I wound up making the point again for UCF, and that 70-13 to Thursday was way worse than the 49-7 to from last year. So that's, that's a dangerous coin to toss. You're an outside uh, guy outside observer they beat temple by 34 last year they were 22 point dogs last year or uh, temple was and now they're a 10 and a half 11 and a half 12 and a half point dog trending in the right direction but yeah if you're like hey this team beat them by 34 last year this temple just gave up 70 points to ucf and showed no ability to run the ball like it doesn't surprise me that tulsa is a double digit favorite in this just when you mm -hmm. consider those things do I think that Tulsa's 12 points better than Temple? No, probably not, but, like, I definitely see why it happens. Keelan Stokes is what would have happened, like, if Jaden Blue never left. Like, he had a 1,000-yard season four years ago, and he's yeah. still in college. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is – I'm ready for, like, COVID-era eligibility to be over, too, because some of these guys are, like, 26 years old. And you're like, what are, <laughs> what are we doing here? Kane, you want to throw us uh, throw us a prediction before you leave your class? Yeah. Uh, third – so the line's 13 and a half points. Um, I'll go 28-17 Tulsa. Mm. Disappointing his, his, his fans who were hoping for a, a temple a temple win. The highest over-under of the season, 52 and a half. Mm. So Vegas is also uh, not expecting much defense in this. 
which to be quite frank, I'm ready for. Like, <laughs> like even for some of these like bad football games, like okay, like Temple just needs a game where it put where its offense works. Like mm-hmm. even if even if it loses yeah. and you go okay, like Tulsa beat them by ten and it was forty eight to thirty eight. Like they just need a game where they can go okay, we got Edward Sadie going. He's mm-hmm. Warner three yeah. for three hundred yards. Like they need a game to be able to hang their hat on offensively, and this might. Mm-hmm. Be yeah. See again, Kyle. What do you think? Does that mean that you are predicting a win? Well, Kyle says. Well, Jane says, go back. I'm gonna say. <laughs> I don't, is this the first one I predicted of the year? No, I predicted they'd beat UMass. I predicted they'd beat Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to win this game, to be honest. I mm-hmm. won't be watching a second of it. I'm going to be out of out of the state, uh, but, I'm, but I'm hoping that I, w- I would say Temple, say Temple 31, Tulsa 21. Mm. 20 point swing against Vegas. Mm. Javon, what do you think? Ah. <sighs> uh... Give me the golden hurricane of Tulsa. <laughs> I'll go twenty-four to twenty. Like you're you're making this prediction as if it were like nineteen fifty-six. We just talked about how bad the defense was, and then Kate, uh, Javon just came in and and smashed the under. Mm. Yeah, because it's not like I trust Temple's offense like that. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, if you're if you're looking for you know slivers of of optimism, like Temple put up ten points in the first quarter. Last against UCF after yeah that game was fourteen to thirteen once upon a time yeah like that's the most points they put up in the first quarter in two years like I was like they actually looked kind of like they could move the ball a little bit against UCF mm-hmm. uh, what utilizing some outside runs from Edward Sadie uh, EJ Warner Jose Barbon might flirt with a thousand yard season if things continue like there's some glimmers of hope uh, I would just if Tulsa if Temple goes down and puts up ten points against Tulsa or seventeen points against Tulsa then it's like all right. Fast forward to the end of the season, Danny Langsdorf really has to figure out what he's doing with this offense because this is one of those games that you're supposed to be padding stats against. Yeah. They're I like think... bottom five or bottom 10 in the nation at running defense. Granted, they just played Navy, so that number's inflated. But Jacksonville State, which is not in Florida, it's in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, rushed for 200 yards against them. You know who their head coach is? Yes. It's um, Rich Rod. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Rich Rod. That was like the peak. Uh, that was like the peak of like, it's kind of when you look back like professional wrestling, you're like, oh, that was like peak NWL. Like Rich Rod at West Virginia is what West Virginia was supposed to be. Steve Slayton, mm-hmm. Pat White. Um, who was the running back that had Slayton was a kids? Philly kid, right? Steve Steve Slayton was a Commonwealth League kid. Yeah, who was the guy that had 14? No, no Devine had like 40 kids and uh play like they're West Virginia was like the bad boys of the big east for a minute. Mm-hmm. All because of Rich Rod. They also oh, when the Big East had a good football conference. They should have been the national championship, and then Pitt beats them thirteen to seven or whatever in mm-hmm. the finale of the season, and people burn couches. <laughs> it's a good memory. Yeah. I I think not. I'm not saying burning couches is a good memory. I'm saying you have a good memory for. Recall. 2007 was the season that. 2007 was that like, not the number two team in college football lost like 14 times. Like mm-hmm. USF was number two in the nation at one point, and they lost. It was a, a crazy year of college football. Wow. Javon was six. the 2007 college football season. Six, six for the last three quarters of the season. You in yeah. kindergarten at six years old? Or was that first grade? At six, I may have been in kindergarten. What was six-year-old? Javon? Maybe for was was six-year-old Javon Evans a big a big sports fan and just just trying to watch as much as he could? What was what was six-year-old Javon doing? 
Okay, so six-year-old Javon was living in southwest Baltimore, where if there wasn't a drive-by at least once a week, somebody had called out sick from work or something. Um, my mom was a big churchgoer at the time, so my Sundays, not much football. Um, I didn't get big into the sports scene until I was like nine. Like, my mom had to leave church for me to start getting into sports because, like, you know, football has got to be your introduction. You know, like that's like the American way these days, and then everything takes off from there. Hmm. Six-year-old Kyle was not having that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was six-year-old John was playing t-ball or probably t-ball in, in Pittsburgh. Might be coach pitch at six, but yeah, wearing like like tough skin jeans or Wrangler jeans, playing playing t-ball, just just trying to do his best. Before we yeah, before we get to uh, uh, before we get to a couple of mailbag questions here, just a recruiting update, a football recruiting update. If you're an Al Scoop subscriber, you can check out Liam Gianelli's story. Uh, Liam making his his Al Scoop debut, uh, writing about DJ Jones. Temple made his top his top five. He's a defensive end and tight end at Tampa's Hillsborough High School. Um, He's uh, Temple's up against Kansas, Howard, USF, and Iowa State in his top five. Um, he talked to rivals national recruiting analyst Ryan Wright about the five schools in general. And then Liam got some good stuff out of him specifically about Temple. So if you haven't subscribed to Al Scoop, you should check out that story. Uh, Temple's, of course, still sitting at 16 verbals. Uh, you can get weekly updates on several of them each week through Caden's recruiting roundup stories. So another reason to uh, subscribe to Al Scoop. Uh, and again, we'll be talking more more basketball in the coming weeks as uh, as Temple gets closer and closer to that season opener against Wagner, and then of course the uh, the big second game of the season against Villanova. So if you've got basketball mailbag questions in the future, send them our way. If you want to debate the starting five, the depth of the team, all sorts of good stuff, and we'll have some more preview stuff coming up in the coming days and coming weeks. All right, so let's let's jump over to the the mailbag. We have a couple of mailbag questions to close things out. Our friend Pat Egan having some fun with this on Twitter from 97, the, it's 97.5 The Fanatic. I will be doing, uh, uh, Pat was out sick last week, so I'll be back doing my weekly hit with him talking about um, talking about the game. Uh, Pat said, I'd like to revisit the baseball predictions before the playoffs so we can all have a good laugh, please, and thank you. Siobhan, you want to start? What was your prediction for the, the Phillies? Hey, I, I was the one who said the Cardinals would beat the Phillies. And Correct. then since then, I've switched up and said there's no way the Phillies don't win the World Series. So, I mean. Well, we can, we can temper the expectations a little bit, right? I feel like they just got too much momentum. The way baseball works, I can just see it happening. Sure. But so do the Yankees. Like, the Yankees have momentum, too. And then in addition to that, they have record-setting corner outfielders. Um, but, yeah, we were wrong. Like, yeah, I said, yeah, and Kyle wasn't, Kyle wasn't really like coming out of the gate, talking a bunch of crap against the Phillies. I said that they would beat the Cardinals. And then what did I say? It's, I said, they get destroyed by the Braves. Yeah. And then you text me game one, the NLDS. And I said, look, if they lose to Ranger effing Suarez against Max Fried, then I have a lot of concerns about the Braves ability to compete in this series. And that mm -hmm. happened. And here we are like in my Braves fandom, they have lost in the NLDS like 20 20 of the 33 years that I've been alive. Like it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. So like, am I surprised a little bit, but also like playoff baseball is entirely about who has momentum. Yep. And if you're, if you're going to come to me and say like, I think the Phillies are a team of destiny, everything's like landing in the right spot. Like maybe like 
the evidence so far shows that you're probably you have a chance of being right. Like even this game is going on right now. The first two runs were bloop singles that ended up being runs. Mm-hmm. Like it's postseason baseball is not who's the best team. The Braves were not the best team last year. It wasn't even close. They were worse than the Dodgers. They smashed mm-hmm. the Dodgers. They were worse than the Astros. They dominated the Astros. It's all about who gets hot. For my wife's sake, I hope the Phillies are that team. I'm not losing. I'm not the type of person that's like, oh, I wish this team from the division doesn't make it. Like, I don't care. If mm-hmm. it was the Mets, I'd be like, yeah, F the Mets. Like, they, they shouldn't make it. But, like, good for the Phillies if they get high at the right time. Sam Newman, we still love you. Yeah, Sam Mets. Newman. <laughs> yeah, he just – he posted that picture on social media. If it's him, like, looking off in the distance, I said, is that you looking off into the distance of the NL? Is that truest part? <laughs> like, I see the A in the background. I see the praise. Yeah. Yeah, Sam didn't appreciate that. Sam gets angry about. Now it's about to be off-season baseball time, which off-season baseball is like three straight days of like chaos and then three months of nothing. And then some guy will sign a $500 million contract in March and show up the next day. Yeah, you're fighting Philadelphia Phillies. As we're recording this, they're up four to two in the bottom of the third out in San Diego, up one game to none in the the series. So we'll see. But like I talked about two weeks ago, you don't win or lose games from solo shots. They don't matter in the postseason. It's all about mm-hmm. three-run jacks. Even for as like enthusiastic as Schwarber's homer was yesterday, it's like I missed it because I, I, I haven't like had the game all. I mean, I just checked in again. They, they were up four nothing, and the like, Noel gave up back-to-back solo shots. Yeah, I don't know if it was back-to-back. Yeah. They gave up Brandon Drury and Josh Bell. Josh Padres, Bell. Padres lineup falls off. Like I understand they like do things differently, and like they're supposed they're more like taking pitches. But once they get to like like the fact that Josh Bell batted cleanup for them last year without how bad he's been this year. Or he batted in for them yesterday with how bad he's been this year. It drops off. Josh, so. I'll add him to the, the long list of players the Pirates couldn't keep. But anyway. Well, yeah. Pat, appreciate that's the a, question. As Fran would thing. say. Yeah. Um, this uh, this is a good one. Uh, we'll, we'll talk some basketball, close things out here, courtesy of this mailback question from Park Al. Name a player who will end the year playing more minutes than he begins the year playing and vice versa. Let's start it with... Uh plays more who will be playing more at the end of the season i think that is the question no he gave two. Oh, yeah name a name a player who will end the year playing more minutes than he begins the year playing and vice versa oh i, I thought i i didn't hear the vice versa part um who i don't know i met Corey yonkish yesterday mm-hmm. was that yesterday i sent that to the group chat two days ago when he was getting flirted with yeah two <laughs> days ago um, yeah, the guy checks out as a legit six nine, lengthy guy. Um, but I think like the plan is for him to play big minutes anyway. I don't know, Kyle. You want to take over on I this? I was gonna one? hedge that. I'd say Jameel Reynolds. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think Core starts the year, but I think Jameel plays. I think Jameel's got some defensive deficiencies, and I think they start Core because he can defend, because he can. Oh, we'll see. Uh, yet to see him in person, obviously. I'd be lying if I said I watched uh, any Northern Colorado basketball last year, but I think Core will start. I think Jameel Reynolds will play some more minutes as the year goes on because of his offensive capabilities. So I think that's a good that's a good pick, Kyle. Um, I didn't want to say just, just to not have the same one, I'll say Caleb Battle. I think Caleb Battle's role might, like, like he hasn't played basketball yeah. in a year. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. like, maybe they bring him along slowly. Yeah. I didn't want to say Jamil because I didn't want to take the cheat answer of, ooh, the big man, put him as the answer to that question because no big man 
plays as many minutes in the beginning of the season as they did at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is the the logical choice. Um, whose minutes fall off? I have an answer that comes to mind right away. Oh, go ahead. I'm I'm starting to think when you look at the sample size that there have been too many cold streaks of Nick Jordan's career for me to just write them off as cold streaks. Oh yeah. It might just be that Nick Jordan is what he is, and now that they've established more depth around this team, that his role might get a little smaller as the year goes. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't think he'd start off with a big role in the beginning of the year to begin with. That's the only reason he didn't pop up to my mind. Like, I completely agree with everything you just said. What, what kind of, like, I know we're adding on to this park out question here. What type of a player is Nick Jordan this year? We talked about it a little bit. Like, Kyle made a good point in saying several different seasons in the past temple said oh okay we won't have to have this guy playing the five and helping out the five and i can understand why people might think that heading into the year because you have added what appear to be two capable bigs in the portal you could throw emmanuel Cuomo in there to just commit some fouls have a body in there but kyle had said you know still other 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 tweeners and nick's not you know six four six five playing down there but he still could get stuck playing some minutes in the post. But what, what do we think Nick Jordan is this year? Do you think they're telling him more? Obviously, no coach is going to say to a kid, we want you to be one-dimensional. But do you think they're going to try to say to Nick, hey, we want you to – you've got some decent form on your shot. We want you to step out more as opposed to playing in the post. What type of player do you think he's going to be this year or a, a try to be? He's definitely, he's definitely going to be small – second unit easily. Small ball five, uh, try to spend most of his minutes at the four. I think – Jordan technically and fundamentally has all the makings uh, to be a consistent stretch four. The problem is his shot is too inconsistent. So let me take consistent mm-hmm. out of that. Because his form is very good. Yeah, it's just about getting the fall, which doesn't happen. So I think they're going to tell him, like, dude, just be the high post guy to break a zone, set some screens, sit opposite block, and just be the stereotypical – 2022 dump off big man. I think that's going to be Nick Jordan's role. And just try as hard as you can on defense, but try to scale back on the fouls this year because, you know, all those fouls aren't helping anyone. Yeah. I feel like there were so many times last season. I don't, if this were a stat, like who committed the foul to send their team into the bonus the most, Nick Jordan would like rank pretty high <laughs> in the American Athletic Conference. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, that set might exist somewhere. Yeah. It's got a dick. I agree with pretty much that. I think in an ideal world, if you're viewing things from a sterile thing, you'd be like, okay, I want to play him 15 minutes a game, and I want him to just go for blocks and, yeah, be a stereotypical, like, dump down, like, stretch four. Like, I, I just don't think that he can shoot enough to be, like, a traditional stretch four. Like, everyone focused on the fact that he got really hot that first year. He shot 19% mm-hmm. from three last year. So... When you're looking at sample sizes, I'm going to take the one that takes up two-thirds of his career games versus the one that takes up a third. Uh, I mean, I hope he's wrong because, like, I mean, I hope I'm wrong because he has the size and he has the frame that if all of a sudden he's shooting at a 35% clip, then you're like, okay, then, like, this guy can be Obi. And, like, if you're Obi and Nacionia, like, for as much uh, hostility he got from Temple fans sometimes, he had a pretty good college career oh, yeah. and is making money overseas. So, like, that's why I think the ceiling is for him, but I'm, I tend to think that he might just be going the other direction. Yeah. We shall see. Anyway, shall. thank you all for Cause listening. Like he's not, sorry, he, Cause like he shouldn't be your shooting off the bench with this team. No, 
Like no, he had Shane Dazoni. Yeah. If Zach Hicks doesn't start, you have him. I think he might mm. start. Like it's like mm. there should be other shooters coming off the bench before him. He yeah. should just be like the third big in the rotation. Mm-hmm. We've officially now covered a ton of ground on this podcast. Anyway, thanks for sticking with us for another episode. Thanks for the mailbag questions, and we will talk to you all next week.